0: Hi everyone, welcome to Health Now, WebMD's podcast about health, wellness, and you. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. Today, we'll go over why experts are alarmed about STDs in the U.S. Also, you probably see it all over social media these days, coconut oil. Is it healthy or not? Plus, we'll be talking with pediatrician and mom, Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. She gives her top advice for parents and kids to stay healthy and sane in this busy season of the year. That's all coming up. Stick around. The numbers of people with sexually transmitted diseases has gone up for the fourth year in a row. The CDC reported recently that there were 2.3 million new cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis in the U.S. in 2017. And that record high number broke the previous record set just the year before, in 2016. And those were just the cases that were diagnosed. The numbers may be even higher since most STDs go undiagnosed and untreated. And experts say the rise shows that the U.S. is losing ground against STDs. The rates of infection had been on the decline for decades until recently. And now another problem could make things even more complicated. Gonorrhea could soon become resistant to all the antibiotics that doctors use to treat it. Dr. Michael Smith, our chief medical editor, is here to talk with us about this story. Hey, Dr. Smith. Hey there. These diseases are fairly preventable with condom use, but the numbers have been rising pretty sharply since 2013. What's going on
1: here?
2: Well, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the numbers of STDs are rising because the use of condoms is decreasing. People likely think that these are just easily treatable, you know, no big deal if I get it. It's a much bigger deal than you think, and we'll talk more about that because oftentimes there are no symptoms. It could be doing serious internal damage and you're just not aware. But there's also a lack of education about prevention. Condoms, number one, really the only way to prevent it, but some people Take the birth control pill, for example. Think that other types of pregnancy prevention can also prevent STDs, but they absolutely cannot. In fact, may even increase the risk of STDs because you feel comfortable that you're doing something. It's just about education and action. We need to use a condom.
0: And you mentioned the effect that STDs can have on your body. What are Mm -hmm. some of those things? Why should people really be concerned about these?
2: Well, the concern is even greater in women than men because in women, the risk of undiagnosed and untreated STDs, which most are. Most are not diagnosed or treated. Therefore, they can lead to serious internal infections called pelvic inflammatory disease, which can cause infertility. It can cause an ectopic pregnancy, which can be very serious, even potentially life-threatening. So a lot can be going on and you have no clue that you have an STD. And that's why we really recommend testing even annual screening in some groups.
0: You wouldn't necessarily have any symptoms or if uh, your partner may not have symptoms that you would notice.
2: That's right, you might not have any symptoms or any symptoms that you can tell. So this STD can be doing its thing, doing damage. You have no idea, you find out a year or two later because you go in and you realize, well, you're not able to have a baby or you have some serious internal infection that was due to an untreated STD.
0: We've talked a little bit about antibiotic resistance on the podcast before, but what does it mean when we say that gonorrhea could become antibiotic resistant? Does that mean we can't treat it, we can't cure it anymore?
2: Well, it's already antibiotic resistant to some degree. I mean, that's why we're having to use what we're having to use. So there is right now very good treatment for gonorrhea. It's a shot called rocephin and a pill called azithromycin. That combination very effective. The problem is we use the pill part of that regimen to actually prevent resistance to the shot but we're starting to see resistance in the pill which is now causing great concern that we may see resistance to the shot and then what do we do? Right? Then we have to keep amping up our game using stronger and stronger antibiotics to the point that eventually we'll have no options. that's why people need to protect themselves, prevent them from the first place so that we are using these antibiotics less and less, decreasing the risk of antibiotic resistance.
0: There might not be any symptoms of an STD, but if you did have symptoms, what would some of those be?
2: Well, the most common ones would be discharge from the penis or vagina. Could be painful urination. It could be bumps or sores on the penis or the vagina. So if you notice anything like that, that's a surefire clue that you do wanna get into your doctor to get tested.
0: You mentioned protecting yourself. Obviously, condom use is key there. What are some other things that people should keep in mind?
2: The United States has the highest rate of STDs of any industrialized country. That's just completely unacceptable, especially when the remedy is pretty easy. Use a condom, right? So we need education and we need action on the part of everybody to get this problem under control. Most people do not get screened. Women younger than 25 should get annual screening for chlamydia and gonorrhea. We're more concerned about women getting annual screening because of what we've been talking about, the risk of internal infections causing infertility, ectopic pregnancy, but we don't necessarily recommend annual screening in all men, but men who have sex with men, yes, they're at a higher risk, so they need annual screening of chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, all adults under 64 and under should have HIV testing at least once. Most of us think we are at no risk of HIV, but really to get that epidemic under control, we wanna have regular testing. Ask your doctor if you fall into any of those high-risk groups, get tested. Obviously stay on top of that if you're exposing yourself potentially through Risky sexual behaviors, and all that really means is not using a condom, right? You're risking yourself. Get regular testing and just really keep that top of mind. Keeping in mind, it can happen to anybody. This really targets anybody. So if you're having unprotected intercourse, you are at risk, so get tested.
0: Are those tests that your doctor would routinely recommend to you, or would you have to ask for them if they haven't happened by a certain point?
2: Your doctor should be routinely recommending it if you fall into those specific age groups, absolutely. Take some personal responsibility for your own health if you do fall into those groups and your doctor hasn't recommended it. It doesn't mean you don't need it, it just may not have come to the doctor's attention. So ask about it because it's really just great protection for you. It's a very preventable problem.
0: Remember when coconut oil was the flavor of the moment? Just a few years ago, it was declared a superfood that could boost brain health and help fuel weight loss. It's been a staple of vegan recipes, too, because it's so versatile. It's been used in everything from smoothies to brownies to stir fries. But recently, the American Heart Association urged people not to use it, and a Harvard University professor even called it pure poison. Why? Turns out the issue is the amount of fat in coconut oil. It's about 80% saturated fat, that's the type linked to high cholesterol. In fact, it has more saturated fat than butter or lard. Studies have found that it raises LDL cholesterol, that's the bad kind, more than other oils like olive and safflower. The American Heart Association says that it has no proven positive health effects. But there's some evidence that one type of saturated fat in coconut oil may not raise LDL cholesterol as much, and it might even raise the good kind of cholesterol, HDL. So what are you supposed to make of all this? Is coconut oil healthy or not? Some experts are saying that if you like coconut oil for its flavor or versatility, then it's okay to use it in moderation. But keep these things in mind. Be sure to have proven heart-healthy oils on hand, like olive and canola. And be wary of claims that sound too good to be true, like coconut oil can prevent Alzheimer's or other health conditions, help you lose weight or erase wrinkles. There's not enough evidence to back them up. And remember, swapping butter for coconut oil won't magically make your recipe any healthier or lighter. Cookies made with coconut oil are still cookies. Labor Day is the unofficial end of summer, and as the kids head back to school, there's a lot of families that are going through a tough adjustment this time of year. There's a lot of homework and tests, of course, but also things like having to get up a lot earlier to make it out of the house on time. And it seems like there's often a bug or two that makes the rounds as everyone gets back into the swing of things. So you'll want help to get your kids to overcome all of that. And joining us to talk about it is pediatrician, Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. She has a podcast and a blog as the Seattle Mama Doc. Hi, Dr. Swanson. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks. Nice to be here. What are the questions that parents ask you a lot this time of year?
1: I think everyone's thinking about transitions. And yet I think sometimes because the transitions are typically exciting, we underestimate the amount of anxiety they provoke or the amount of stress and discomfort they provoke. So not only are children kind of amped up for the school year, you know, so are we, as we try to get kind of our calendars back in place and kind of deal with the onslaught. So certainly that kind of trepidation and overwhelm that can lead to even insomnia or stress or sore stomachs certainly comes up at this time. What are some things that parents
0: can do to sort of ease some of those worries around whether it's homework or tests or even drama with friends.
1: I think one thing we have to do is in listening is kind of provide empathy and regard for it. So not suggesting that a child is overreacting, you know, big things in your life when you're young are big. They may seem small to we adults, but they certainly are big things. So giving them the credit they deserve is first and foremost, really appreciating how someone and how a child is feeling is I think the first thing we do and and then normalizing it and putting into context and helping a child understand the size of it in relation to other things in their life.
0: What are some other tips that you have for parents in terms of helping kids get enough sleep and and be up in time without just really being kind of tired and slogging
1: through the day like that? One of the... Biggest tools that we've got this time of year is leveraging sleep. Most sleep experts really recommend that you can move a bedtime by about a half an hour every three days or so. Most school aged kids need somewhere between nine and 11 hours of sleep still. You know, there's more and more caffeine in sports drinks and different drinks that are available to children, but making sure that you're getting rid of caffeine and certainly after three o'clock in the afternoon will help kids if they're not having an easy time falling right off to sleep. And then the screen is probably the number one finger pointer. So it's not just the kind of activation and the socializing and the, Uh, you know, all the different energy that comes from using a screen, although we think that's relevant as well, it's really that that light will change physiologically how your child is kind of ready and yourself is ready to go off to bed. So there's some data that would really say, oh, it'd be so nice to have kids off screens at about two hours. But having sat on some of the councils on the American Academy of Pediatrics, we really kind of focus in on one hour of just saying, okay, if bedtime's 930, do your best, you know, if you want lights out and sleep at 930, do your best to make sure there's no screen exposure after or 830. Now it can be hard. Once you get to a time, do your best to enforce it. There's studies that actually found even school-age kids who have a consistent bedtime perform much better at school because um, their body's able to fall off to sleep. They get the rest they need and they can maintain levels of attention and acuity that they deserve. When I'm in clinic, is often use the excuse that <laughs> that their their phone is their alarm clock. And I say, well, there's probably like a 5 or $10 alarm clock you could buy that's not your cell phone.
0: And sleep is obviously important for physical health as well in terms of keeping kids' immune system strong. When it comes to the the sniffles and the germs that get passed around this time of year, what else could parents do to help their kids avoid those bugs that make life miserable for a lot of kids?
1: We know most younger children, in particular, get somewhere between 6 and 11 colds every year, and most of those are during the school year. If you do the math, that's like one every month or every other month, so it's normal when that's happening. But being a good citizen and keeping your kids home as best you can when they're ill, it's going to be really important. Hand washing is really effective. Having and making sure that kids are washing their hands after and before play and certainly before lunchtime. There's one virus that we physicians really don't like called influenza. We have remarkable prevention efforts for that, the vaccine. So this year, the American Academy of Pediatrics is recommending the shot for every child up and over six months of age and every adult.
0: Right. That's really important. Wash your hands, get your flu shot and keep kids home if they're sick
1: it's such obvious stuff, but it works so well.
0: <laughs> what if there is a bout of lice at your kid's school? What should you do about that?
1: Yeah, it just kind of makes your skin crawl, right? Like it's really uncomfortable because it's just really unsettling. First and foremost, there are good line of over-the-counter medications that you can use. Go to the store, you wash your child's, you comb it out, and then you repeat that again seven to ten, 10 days later because it needs to kill any of those eggs that may have remained and not been killed the first time around. They tend to be really effective. If you do a treatment, with your child and you feel like you're not having good success getting rid of it and you don't think that your child's being reinfested when they go back to school or practice or wherever they're getting it, then check in with your pediatrician or family doc because at that point you may even wanna try some of the prescriptions. You don't have to go bananas, but you do wanna wash the sheets in really hot water. You wanna take stuffed animals out of the bed if they've got them, throw them in the freezer overnight or put them in some garbage bags for a couple of days and then just vacuuming the house in particular the areas where the child plays and sleeps and likely that is plenty to going back to normal.
0: Last but not least, you recently blogged about play, playtime for kids and how important that is for them. Let's Talk a little bit about what the benefits are of play and how can we make sure that our kids don't miss out on that with all the other things that are kind of expected of them these days.
1: Play is not frivolous. Are they having an hour or two of play every day? And can you as a parent or caregiver or grandparent or nanny or babysitter or friend even just turn things off in your own life to just be present? When we grant attention, full attention to a child and presence, Um, remarkable things happen for a child in their understanding of the world, their sense of security, and then truly this ability to enhance their brain structure through play. Anything else that's important that you feel like we should cover? I think sometimes we focus and focus and focus on our kids and we forget to focus on ourselves. I mean, not that kind of dopey self-care language, but truthfully understanding that as our kids feel stress and anxiety, they're watching us experience stress and anxiety and of course modeling after us so taking care of ourselves and getting the same rest that we're trying to get for our children
0: will really help these transitions in the fall modeling those healthy ways to relieve stress yeah exactly thank you so much dr swanson we appreciate it now our tweak of the week put nothing on your calendar literally mark out a time when you plan to do absolutely nothing at all Downtime is great for your mental health. It recharges you and helps you deal with stress. It's worth it to make time for it as often as you can. So just like you carve out time for a doctor's appointment or your kid's piano lessons, block off some time in your week that you can spend on yourself doing whatever you want to do. Your brain will thank you for it. Thanks again to all of our guests and to you for joining us this week. Talk to you next time.